0: What's up, y'all? In this episode, I'm going to be talking with Ryan Kirby, and if you listened several episodes back now, we were talking about frontal shots, and Jake brought up Ryan's artwork several times, so we decided to get him on the podcast. We think his artwork's really cool. You Check the description of this podcast and go to his website, and you can see a bunch of examples of his art, but one of the things that we were talking about a lot in that frontal shots podcast where the drawings that he has of dear vitals. So we thought that was really cool. And then in this episode, we just talk about a whole bunch of different stuff. Really. It's just a kind of getting to know Ryan type of podcast, just him and I talking about a bunch of different stuff and ultimately covered things like how he got his start as an artist, and how his profession helps him as a hunter so a lot of cool topics here hope you guys enjoy it before we get started though i wanted to remind you guys that we can help save you some money on all bear archery products if you go over to beararchery.com you can use the code thp10 and that'll save you 10 percent off of all their bows so that's a cool opportunity to take advantage of if you're in the market for a new bow Also, last year we partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild is a free social community where your photos aren't censored instead they're encouraged. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn points you unlock awesome rewards too such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. And if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. And all you got to do is visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. All right, guys, let's talk with Ryan Kirby. All right, guys, today we're going to be talking with Ryan Kirby. Um, I have never talked to Ryan before, so when he hops on here, this is going to be the first time that we've talked aside from a few text messages and Aaron's talked to him. He kind of set the whole thing up and then he had to show his house today. So he's busy doing that, which is no big deal, but we're going to talk with Ryan. And I guess I learned about Ryan when, uh, Jake was talking about frontal shots and he was referencing Ryan's artwork a lot. So we're going to talk about that and we're going to talk about kind of how he got into art but also how he got into drawing pictures of uh deer that you know showed the vitals so well I we want to learn more about how he figured out how to do that so once he gets on here we'll let it rip what's up
1: man yo can you hear me yeah can you hear me yeah loud and clear me? it sounds great i can't hear myself now We uh, we we've been struggling to get my audio in my headphones Yeah, what's the secret there bro.
0: Dude. I have no idea. I (laughs) seriously one day I feel like these apps work great and I'm like, oh no problem. And then like today I had a different camera plugged in lost
1: me (laughs) You there? Yeah, I hear you I Can't hear him classic there we go back okay yeah what we've been doing is um like i can't it's if i put the earmuffs on i can hear you loud and clear but i can't hear myself it's like i'm on the range and can't hear you know and i tend to yell (laughs) so what i've been doing is doing this like a dj you know like Got a little record in front of me.
0: I yeah, I've had to do that from time to time. Sometimes my ears just get tired. Like it's just too hard on, you know. I got these big wide ears, so you got to press them back every <laughs> once in a while. And I had a GoPro plugged in as my webcam. It looks like you've got a different camera as your webcam.
1: We've got a webcam, yeah.
0: Yeah. So in the past, I've used a GoPro because it's a little bit better. But yeah. then it's like, it just didn't work. It's, it was working great, and then as soon as I turned this on, it was just like, hey, we can't we can't handle this, so. I'm right. It's a pain.
1: <laughs> might, that, that like, might put me on disability, man, after this. you <laughs> like, I can't see. i have an excuse though. My painting sucked. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude, I was on a podcast with Zach and I got blinded. Yeah,
0: they had these lights on me.
1: We're ready to roll.
0: I've got stuff recording ever, already that way. Yeah. I just don't miss anything, but I keep it pretty loose and just like to pretty much hang out and talk. I don't know if you've ever listened to our podcast before, but I just pretty much let her rip and don't of course really I have, bro. <laughs> don't really let, let, uh, I don't really have any rules. I just like to have fun and yeah. talk and let the conversation go where it goes. So,
1: yeah, man, I'm a red blooded American. Of course I've listened <laughs> to the THP podcast.
0: Oh shit. <laughs> I guess, uh, I didn't really know about your stuff until very recently so i was doing a podcast with jake and we were talking about frontal shots and he kept referencing your artwork and actually earlier that day i think i had seen it for the first time it was the like motion picture of uh the deer walking
1: walking. yeah Yeah.
0: and i had just stumbled across that i was like oh that's pretty cool and then he starts telling me about it in the podcast and i looked it up while we were recording i was like oh yeah this
1: is pretty awesome so yeah man i appreciate it
0: yeah it's just a really cool you know visual for people
1: yeah yeah that uh that's all sketched art and i actually i mean my animation skills are like zero but you can do you know photoshop has some animation deals Mm -hmm. and so it's just a layer in photoshop and then you like tween in between and then uh just kick it out as a as a an animation there so nice. it's pretty cool yeah that is sweet yeah man
0: i guess before we get like too deep into the specifics of that though tell mm-hmm. me more about yourself and like kind of your story
1: well um so i'm a i'm a wildlife artist and and designer like a graphic designer <clears throat> i grew up in the midwest I actually grew up in uh, hancock county illinois okay. went to school at bradley sorry my I'm, I'm going DJ mode on you, uh, went to school at Bradley university in Peoria and graduated with a degree in graphic design and multimedia and then moved to Edgefield, South Carolina to work for the Turkey Federation right after college. Awesome. So that was my first job right out of the gate. Um, I answered a classified in the back of Turkey call magazine. This is like 2004 maybe, um, worked there for years and then, um, about seven years later, I went out on my own, uh, started doing like freelance design work, painting on the side, wildlife art, kind of different mediums, but always in the same kind of realm, you know? And then my wife and I met, we ended up, uh, settling down in Boone, North Carolina. So we're in the mountains of Western Carolina now. Mm -hmm. Um, that's where we're at, man. We've got uh so my studio, we, we bought um an eight-acre place that had like a four thousand square foot building. The dude actually had an airplane on it. It was his airplane strip. And so the we renovated his uh airplane hangar for lack of a better term. Yeah. <laughs> and uh so I live we live and work here. Um got two little kids that are running around outside as we speak and may interrupt, <laughs> but uh No, man, it's good. Uh, things are good. We've got, uh, three people that work here full time, uh, four, including myself. Um, so yeah, we got a little operation nestled in the mountains. That's sweet. Yeah, dude.
0: Yeah. So like, how old were you when you first started getting into wildlife art? Like, was that something that you were doing for fun (laughs) as a kid? Or like, what did that look like?
1: (laughs) Well, um, I mean, my, my hometown was really small. I had 49 kids in my graduating class. 3300 I think in the town you know so it was small and um my high school art teacher and well he was the he was the art teacher all the way through it's not like we were a one-room schoolhouse or anything but he taught us in middle school and high school Steve Mullins and he really encouraged us to enter into the junior duck stamp program and I grew up on a farm up there. We had uh, we had about 25 head of cattle, some pigs when I was younger. Uh, but for the most part, it's your typical row crops, corn, soybeans, wheat, um, all that. Uh, and man, I was just like me and my brother were like my dad's little buddy. You know, we I, I remember just riding in the back of his beat up truck to go feed cows and, you know, I mean, all the all the things, all the fishing and farm ponds, feeding cows um tagging along on deer drives and stuff like that and so i was like in it from day one like Mm -hmm. that's what my life revolved around and then as i got older i kind of developed i I just kind of knew i had a knack for it and you know i tell everybody everybody thinks like the light shone down from heaven or something like when you had a a talent you know it's like no dude (laughs) i was in like fourth grade and the teacher just asked you to draw a duck and you're just your duck looks better than the kid next to you you know it's like that's how it is and and really man like art i've always kind of had like an engineering type brain like i understood how stuff worked how shape and perspective and modeling and after that it's just hand-eye coordination Mm -hmm. you know and so a lot of it can be taught and learned the the hand-eye coordination maybe not so much but that's pretty much what it is yeah uh so i I developed the talent for it later but my my draw my passion was always in in the outdoors from day one
0: that's cool so yeah and
1: then as as i got older um i had more success in the junior duck stamp program and i mean our art teacher encouraged us to really enter keep entering in that and that helped me a lot and then i would shoot trap with some guys on thursday nights me and some buddies and buddies of mine we had a high school trap team and uh so we we'd hang out at the club smoking gun hunting club after we'd shoot trap and the older guys would drink beer and hang out you know and and eventually guys would bring their bird dogs in for me to paint so they'd Uh, like a little five by seven glossy you know that they snapped a photo of with their camera when they when he's on point yeah and then i would paint that for him and so my summer jobs were baling hay and painting dogs and that was it so that's
0: that's pretty awesome i I think yeah man that's a pretty sweet way for a young kid to make money too and use a talent and like something that you probably enjoy i mean has it ever got to a point where it's more of a job and it's like too much or do you feel like you can sit down and enjoy it every time
1: about every day yeah (laughs) (laughs) no it's uh we we've grown quite a bit and as you as you get bigger uh there's just more stuff, man. I mean, there's more, there's more people, there's more payroll, there's more legal stuff you've got to deal with and contracts and taxes and yada, 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 yada. So nothing you guys haven't experienced with your fame. (laughs) (laughs) It's not all cars, money, and girls, (laughs) you know? No, really none of those things at all.
0: (laughs) yeah you should have seen me sweating trying to get batteries in this recorder right before we started it's a lot of that yeah
1: Yeah. it's a ton of that I I'm not as much of a tech guy I can't even imagine what you guys deal with like on the road with cameras and batteries and laptops and stuff it
0: gets pretty ridiculous and it's pretty funny too to look back on different times you know where things were simpler and and that was kind of a question I had for you to the bird dog like painting pictures like do you ever just think like man that was so that was so nice and easy because it's kind of that way (laughs) when i think of like (laughs) when me and my buddies would roll out with like a you know eight gigabyte gigabyte sd card and a camera that had 40 percent battery and we're just like whatever yeah you know and it's so different than that now where it's like you know do we have all 15 batteries that we need to take with us and you know it's just the simplicity of things changes but I mean i'm sure well, you kind of deal with that same thing you
1: kind of you hit a new level of like stress and stuff and then that becomes your baseline and yeah. then you hit another level of stress and things to deal with and then you look back and it's like dude things were simple back then yeah for you sure know? i mean imagine the days like back when you know sports and girls and hunting was like the biggest drama you had oh yeah <laughs> the biggest thing you had to deal with in
0: life you know I think about that all the time it's like man used to think that 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 was stressful it's like nah not at all
1: <laughs> no no but no it, it it really is good and and honestly I I find like when I really do have time to sit down and just draw again and paint again it's like whew, this is nice yeah you know awesome. I mean I don't know if you guys ever hunt without cameras or anything anymore but it kind of be like that it'd be like it's just nice being out here
0: yeah you know I, I think the biggest thing is, is just having time for yeah. for me. It's it's nice when I have the time where I can sit down and invest time into a project and, and get done with it and be like, okay, I set the bar higher for myself for the next time. Yeah. Kind of like I'm kind of doing that right now. I'm working on elk videos, which I, um, I guess whenever we have elk videos, we've saved them for like a year later. Okay. That way we have more time to Yeah. edit them. And I'm kind of in that point right now where it's like I get to sit down and work on it every day and really make it perfect. And I enjoy that because, it kind of decreases that stress level of just like got to get another one up, got to get another one up. So I'm I'm in that mode right now. But uh,
1: you guys are still churning like uh, deer and turkey almost semi live, mm -hmm. right? Like, okay,
0: Yep. And I think that. It's always just trying to find that balance of like, what's the right amount and what's, you know, what do people yeah. like really at the end of the day? That's the biggest question because yeah. you know, if, if you put, I think of editing is similar, it's, a, it's a, it's not art in the fact that you're drawing, but you ultimately are coming up with oh, a, yeah. a product that takes some artistic ability. And I think that there's, there's two ways to look at it. It's like, if you pump out videos really fast, the quality goes down, but mm-hmm. if you take you know, more time to edit a polished video—is it that much worth it? It is for for me and a lot of yeah. us, like, to have a product that we're more proud of. But if like people yeah. want faster stuff, you know, you got to give them that too. So it's just a balance, in that and I'm sure, I'm sure you probably deal with pretty similar stuff.
1: It's definitely a balance, and you know, some like if I go to a, a painting or something, like there's a certain level of detail where it's like enough is enough, mm-hmm. like me spending another day and a half painting grass is not gonna get me another level of good. Most people wouldn't even notice. It's yeah. mostly stuff that only I would notice oh, anyway. And, and I
0: think that's a, big, that's a big thing I deal with in, in editing as well. And I'll yeah. notice myself going back and for the 16th time trying to get an audio level perfect. And it's like, man, I go back and I watch videos from five years ago we were not doing any of that you know (laughs) we weren't weren't even bumping the audio down when it would get completely blown out it's like we were just you know slapping stuff together but i think part of the creative mind always wants to you know make things a little bit more perfect you know a little bit perfectionist i suppose
1: yeah does the stress help you like if like and i don't know a ton about your back-end process but i remember seeing videos of you guys editing at mcdonald's because you could get wi-fi uh-huh. you know like did the did the deadlines make you better or eventually or not really um i think that
0: deadlines ultimately make you just get to that point where you're slapping stuff together that's yeah. the downside but at least that's the way that i feel but if i have a little bit of time if i have a, a loose deadline i feel like i yeah do well with that because it's like, okay, there's a certain point where you can look to the future and say, okay, in the next couple days, like I got to wrap this up. And I think that's nice, but you know, having that like real hard one day or two day after the hunt deadline, that, that can get tough. But at the same time, when we've done that, we work together well to, to take different pieces. So like, for example, if you're watching a hunt day of that's by no means one person putting that together, it's multiple people working on different chunks to make it as good as possible while still yeah. getting up, you know, a full length video. But yep. what about you? Does it, does it help you to have a deadline?
1: Uh, I, I am, I'm, I push myself pretty hard. So I have a lot of self-imposed deadlines. Mm-hmm. Like typically my deadlines are like, cause I've done a lot of client work mm-hmm. over the years. Um, and typically my deadlines were like pushing the client along versus the opposite so i kind of like to i like to grind and push through and i'm a focused guy so i cannot multitask oh, at me all either. so it's like, yeah, like I'm i am same. focused on this thing get that sucker out the door and i literally don't think about it and i go to the next one and that's how that's,
0: I that's that's part of the reason that i showed up yeah. five minutes late to this podcast is <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm on what i call an editing binge currently i can't dude i can't think about anything i mean i'm i'm doing it now but it's like i have to force yeah. myself to get out of it i mean i was up until yep. midnight working on a video last night just because i want to and i'm excited about it and it's like when i have that yeah you know when i have that uh i guess excitement level for a video to get done it's like i don't want to do anything until it's done i can't think yeah. of anything like i'm going to sleep thinking of the music i'm going to sleep thinking of the different shots and how what i got to do you know to close it up and it's like just so ridiculous of a process yeah. but it's a i don't know it's i think it's a good thing but at the same time it is hard to do other things like you said i can't yeah. multitask very well either
1: one thing that i found is i'd end up doing um so like i'll go to some events and shows and they do a thing called quick draw and I, a lot of times i get invited like ritzy cocktail hours like uh, fundraising events like for the turkey fed or ducks unlimited or something like that uh-huh. and you're basically you're just like the cocktail entertainment is is all you are <laughs> and um I, I i you most of the time you have to paint a painting in an hour start to finish in front of the crowd they want it uh-huh. done and at this ex, this show called the southeastern wildlife expo in charleston they auction it right afterwards, so it's you're like you're like the most vulnerable. It's like laying your guts open yeah. in front of everybody because not only do you have to paint this thing there in front, but then it goes up to auction, and it's like I'm about to find out what I'm made of and what other people think of my work in real time. <laughs> That's you know, because um, but w- what I have found is that as I've done those, sometimes I'll paint like sometimes I'll paint the scene I'm gonna paint just as a warm up in my studio just to. Kind of as a mulligan, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I've found that when I have to paint that way, you don't have time to overthink anything. It's like, I'm going to take a brush stroke and I'm going to put this one here and then I'm going to put this one here and I'm going to put this one here. And your work ends up being more fresh and more, a lot of times it's better because all the little stuff that doesn't matter just fades away. Yeah. And I've noticed that doing stuff like that helps me on a bigger piece when I really am trying to put a lot of detail into it because yeah. it kind of, I don't know, man, it just kind of hones your skill, I yeah. guess.
0: It helps you probably just get used to cutting ties with the little things that mm-hmm. are not that important.
1: It'd be like uh, singing acoustic or something if yeah. you're a musician, like you don't have all the auto-tune, you right. don't have any of that stuff, you know, yep. so you got to get it. And, it. and it does, I feel like it, it makes me better mm-hmm. overall.
0: Yeah, it's probably nice to have a little both, right? Like having oh, that yeah. balance. I think that's same with with videos as well. It's like, it's nice to be able to pump stuff fast, but it's also nice to be able to sit down and make that more polished product.
1: Yep. Have you guys ever done a video of like your whole behind the scenes deal?
0: No, but it Dude, would be, that would be super interesting. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think about that would it a be lot. Cool. One of the things that kind of cracks me up, I had this whole past Turkey season. I was laid up cause I had uh, surgery on my ACL mm-hmm. and I was watching a bunch of old videos and of course and was cracking me up to hear us say oh yeah we're back working it's like nobody has any idea what that even means like I, yeah it it, it it could be like just sitting down at the computer sending an email it could be yeah. what like in you know from the outside perspective you have no idea but when you really see what it is it can get quite ridiculous like i've got pictures of I'm pretty sure i've got pictures or somebody does at least i remember one time we were in mississippi we were all editing on a picnic table, and it was so sunny that we all had towels over our heads and the <laughs> laptop screen so we could actually see. Another time, yeah. I was in my car, and the same deal I had these t shirts and stuff hung up so I could, you know, kind of be in a little dark room in there. And it's like, yeah, that, that's how, and, and that'll be hours, you know, yeah, so it just gets pretty ridiculous. But
1: it nobody knows what it takes to edit video and produce it man i mean it's just it's just a lot yeah dude. i remember so when i went on full-time at the turkey fed it was 2004 and that's when they had the big giant cameras still yeah. you know like they had a cutout for your shoulder, like a rounded oh, cut out, yeah. you know, it's and like, it's like this bit. yeah. So, I mean, you guys were probably, you guys were probably filming some of that at Winkies. Yep. We definitely right? were. Yep. Yeah.
0: When I was filming so, him, I had this camera that, I mean, it was insane. It was so huge.
1: And then there, those guys are, and I, I had always seen like Turkey call TV, like with Rob Keck taking his daughters and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, And then you get there and there's like five edit bays with dark rooms and big screens. And these guys are lugging cameras. And there's like, there's like, it's like an NFL team. Like there's suitcases everywhere when they go on a trip and this and that and it's like, dude, I had no idea that it took this much stuff.
0: Yeah. And so I I think it's fun too, to also try to combat that a little bit too, where it's like, now you can film tons of stuff on your phone. You can film stuff with GoPros and, you know the cameras that we're using right now like this one this is one of them like even this thing it's so much different than that thing that we were filming oh yeah you know like this yeah. is so easy you know i can get a pretty dang good clip just doing that like it's yeah. so light but anyway that's that's one it's of the things that's kind of fun is to try to evolve that because i hate using that you know anything bigger than that thing is way too much for me you know yeah yeah but anyway
1: <laughs> well one of the guys there jason morrow he was a he was a former offensive lineman at oklahoma state and he was a big boy and he went on a gould's hunt and he was like and i was like bro how are you gonna carry that thing hiking mountains and stuff you're still you know 270 you're yeah. still built like a lineman right. you know it was nuts but they That's did hilarious. it so how did you get
0: the job at NWTF? I mean, how did you start that process and get into yeah. like the outdoor industry? That's, that's yeah. definitely something I want to learn more of.
1: Yeah. That's what, that's what everybody asks. How do I work in the outdoor industry? Right. Like, and I, I feel like there's a ton of people. It's kind of weird now that I think about it. Cause I, I did a podcast with Sam Soholt yesterday. Yep. I didn't know he worked for Midwest Whitetail yep. too. And, i feel like midwest whitetail was a lot of the same story of the turkey federation that the turkey fed cranked out a ton of young talent in the industry and so did so did midwest whitetail you know oh, and we've yeah. been at like cocktail hours at at shot show or ata and somebody will walk up and there's a bunch of us standing there and they're like you guys all worked at the turkey federation like i've met a ton of people that started there but um you know when i was in high school the, I would go to the local Turkey Federation banquets, you know, mm-hmm. the smoky VFW hall in the v- little towns, you know, and, um, I would donate. They, at, at that time I had like won the junior duck stamp contest. Mm-hmm. So like I'd won a national contest and like gotten some like news coverage and stuff like that, like yeah. local, local stuff. You're so building a resume knew, a little bit it kind of, yeah. Within, within a county. Yeah. <laughs> but, um so people knew I could draw and I was kind of like the whole the hometown kid so they wanted some s- some of my art there and I would sketch I'd do like a black and white sketch for their program and so it'd be like the I can't remember what our chapter name was back then but the Hancock County Strutters you know yeah. and it have it have a picture on there and I did stuff like a turkey strutting with a shed antler next to it turkey's fighting all that kind of stuff And I would, I would donate the, the original, they'd get it framed and then auction it. And then they would use that art on the, the program cover. And I did that for a bunch of local ones. And then I did it for the Adams County banquet. And then, um, then I went to college and I continued to do it and send it back home. Well, um, in college college, I went through a phase where I just like didn't know who I was, didn't know what I wanted to do with my yeah, life. Yeah. And I started out as an engineer at Bradley then switched out of that. And then I, I found graphic design because I thought, okay, I'm going to try to get a marketable skill here that I can take to the job place without going cold Turkey, starving artists, trying to sell deer paintings and stuff. Yeah. I, I didn't want to do that. And I didn't I didn't really know how to do it. I mean, I'm a farm kid, dude. My mom was a postmaster, my dad was a farmer and grew, drove a concrete truck. Like I didn't know, I didn't, <laughs> I wasn't like being groomed to right. be an artist or anything. Um, so I, I had the degree in graphic design and multimedia, which would have been like Dreamweaver, Flash, mm-hmm. Fireworks, stuff like that back in the day. And uh, so the, the early phases of web design and i also had that background with like donating stuff to the turkey federation so when i graduated college um what well, before that i was going to be a medical illustrator i was going to go in and i thought I'd, i like biology anatomy physiology i can draw all that kind of stuff and there's at like when you go into the doctor and they have like the diagram of the lungs and the heart like well, somebody illustrated that right. somebody drew that so i started looking into those programs but what i ended up finding out was that you basically go through med school alongside a doctor yeah but he goes and makes a pile of money and then i get paid to draw this st- the, st- the same stuff you know And it was like dude i don't want to go through another five years of school yeah. for that mm-hmm. and honestly i'm glad i didn't because Digital has taken over everything, and now everything's 3D animated. Like, yeah. there's nobody sketching red blood cells. <laughs> you know? So, uh, so I I was like, I saw that um, uh, classified ad in the back of Turkey Call. They were looking for a graphic designer. So, um, I actually saw that like three months before I graduated, and held on to that issue of Turkey Call magazine. It had a hen in, it was a November issue and I still remember it. It had a hen like in frosted, you know, corn stubble and stuff, you know? So um, one thing, so I answered that, um, answered that deal. I think our camera's losing focus. Maybe I'm leaning back too far. Sorry.
0: That's all good. Tech
1: issues. Yep. But, um, <laughs> so I answered that um, and I had a letter of recommendation from the state chapter president so I had the resume to do the design, which is what the job was for, but I could also draw and I kind of understood like turkeys. Mm-hmm. So it was like kind of a, a no brainer for them. Um, and it was a really good job for me. So I, I left uh, Illinois, got the job in, in South Carolina and kind of the rest is history from there. Um, but it was cool because Rob Keck was the CEO at the time. And Rob was a high school art teacher and he it, it, so he had that artistic background mm-hmm. and I never forget the first day he asked me because he was a real stickler with his turkeys you know and he was never really happy with like other artists what they've done with turkeys because he was a turkey guy yeah and the first day on the job he asked me he's like how many turkey how many uh, tail feathers does a turkey have and I was like 18 why and like I was his guy from then on I don't even know how I knew it but like he's like okay this young kid this young punk knows how many how many yep yep you're my guy that's good so um I actually one of my first jobs there was illustrating his column in the back of turkey call and he would like he would write an article he still wrote it himself like Rob was the most passionate turkey dude I've ever met in my life. And he would still, even as the CEO of the company, he would write that little article in the back of Turkey Call. And it might be how to do, um, you know, different types of a tail fan mount you could do to preserve your bird. And then I would hand draw that and he would approve it. He liked my work. And then we actually had a font created in Rob's handwriting. So he wrote all the letters in his style. And then I don't know where we got it, but it was a font. And in the computer of, of Keck was the, the type. And so I would lay out his article all the time. And then I would do more illustration work. Um, we would do like how to build a blocks, box blind, some hunting strategy stuff. And it was a good fit for me because I understood it and then had the technical ability to do it. So, yeah.
0: so like, they but it was would, cool, man. Yeah, so like you would get tasked with like illustrating what things were about essentially.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it might be how to set up a dove field. Yeah. And it would be, and back in those days, like the vector artwork was real popular. Like you'd see in Field and Stream and Outdoor Life where it's like clean stuff done in Illustrator. Um, So I would hand draw that and then go over it in vector and it would appear in the magazine. So um, I was designing a lot of the magazines and then illustrating them when we needed, when it was a fit. Um, uh, and then when web design started to take off, I had a little bit of a background in multimedia, so I would do some web design.
0: I feel like I'm, so. I feel like I'm having visions of cool ways to present, you know, I've, I've always thought, man, I ought to just start sitting down and drawing out maps for different examples of yeah. hunting situations. Cause I, I used to really enjoy that. I'd go through the magazines back in the day and I'd be sitting there looking for those illustrations. Mm-hmm. Like I loved that. You know, I remember seeing things like, you know, food source, real basic stuff, but like food source and then, you know, trail and then bedding area and stand in between. And I I remember really liking that because you could get this visual of what was being explained and I feel like I learned better that way. So Mm -hmm. I remember really seeking that out when I was a kid looking at magazines and I feel that it would also be something that would be cool to add to hunting videos as well as just more illustrations and things that kind of describe different situations i think that's pretty
1: sweet yeah well the advantage of it as an artist is like you can you can delete all the unnecessary stuff and then Mm -hmm. really call out the key stuff where if you try to do that with a photo Like, you know, some of those overhead photos, you just, you just see limbs everywhere, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. but you can actually so show the rivers and the trails and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think that, and just like giving people a visual is pretty important because I can read things and pick up on it if I'm really interested in it. But like, for example, if you give me a textbook, I'm going to pick up and remember more of the pictures than I am the text, which, you know, is kind of a it is a little bit of a struggle when I was in school, but you know, I always did better if you put, show me a video,
1: I'm going to, I'm going to take all that (laughs) in, you
0: know, or show me a drawing or show me pictures, whatever. And I think that, you know, that definitely helps people learn. So I think that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. How did, how did you get into the video work? I Uh, thought Sam's story the other day was amazing, but I've, I've never heard yours, honestly. So I started by, I guess
0: it's just, telling somebody about this i remember my dad having you know just the handheld cameras that would record on the little vhs tapes and you uh-huh. punch those and i remember watching those as a kid and always thinking man this is cool and then as i got older and technology kind of evolved i would say middle school t- time frame my dad started using and my uncle as well they both started using like digital cameras and like you know you look back at that and it's like so outdated really but just like those original i guess would take we're taking a little bit better quality photo and you could put them onto a computer and when that was the case they were going through different models of those and sometime around probably 16 years old right when we got our all of my buddies got driver's license we started going hunting together a whole lot more because all of a sudden now we can just pick each other up and go right Mm -hmm. and i started just grabbing my dad's camera I would also at that time those models were getting to where they could record video so I would record we would go small game hunting or whatever and I would just start filming all that stuff and you know again looking back on it it was real just tossed together I had no yeah. real plan for it but then I started editing things on iMovie so we had a Mac okay. desktop and i found iMovie on there one day i realized i could just you know import all these videos that i'm taking with my buddies put them in there and then start making videos so then i'd you know find some you know rock and roll tune that i liked and i would montage yeah. things together or make a little you know little story <laughs> of our rabbit hunt or whatever and
1: <laughs> i love the rock and roll video i can uh, literally just picture it right now ac dc like yeah. you know whatever yeah. whatever
0: i was listening to at the time but i remember having like <laughs> ac dc there's a pearl jam in there like all the just you know stuff you would hear like on rock radio at the time just montage oh ted nugent songs for sure yeah just funny stuff like that and
1: because i can picture it's not that exciting it's just like you walking down the edge of a field but oh, man, yeah. the music is
0: oh, at 10. epic yeah. epic <laughs> <laughs> so i started doing it like like that and then as we got older we just kept doing more and more of it and eventually like got into Camcorders. I mean, stuff that's a little bit more basic than that, but just like handheld camcorders. And we we just kept filming everything that we were doing. And sometime I would say around 2011 when I went, when I first started in college, we were watching a ton of Midwest whitetail at that time, which is where Aaron and Greg were already working at that time. Or I think Aaron, I think they both started right at that time. So I was watching those guys and i was watching them with my friend ben who um, i still hunt with and he's on videos still a lot to this day but him and i were watching that a ton and we would start paying attention to what they were doing how they were framing things how they were putting the story together so we just tried to mimic that and then i just started applying for the midwest whitetail internship and i thought okay well there's no chance i'm ever getting this right i mean classic classic uh I don't know, pessimist attitude, I suppose. Yes. And eventually on my senior year I got I got accepted for it. So did my friend who was also like in my close friend group. His name's Michael Prente and now he works for Randy Newberg. Oh um, okay. So we both were interns at Midwest Whitetail, but we had been friends at Ohio University for oh, probably I guess two or three years at that point. So okay. we went to Iowa together and then that's where we met, you know, everybody at Midwest whitetail, Aaron and Greg and everybody else that was there at the time. And then, um, yeah, just started working there and I, I loved it. I mean, that was like, it was the dream yeah. come true. It truly was yeah. like when we first went out there, I remember thinking like mm-hmm. that life couldn't get any better and really it has just been, I guess, continued to get better since. And I, I just yep. really appreciate that. Uh, experience at midwest whitetail forever Mm -hmm. you know will value that more than about anything because it it got me started i suppose and allowed me to have these new resources that i was never going to get with people that were more experienced like aaron and greg and you know now i just i don't know look back at that and it's like that simpler time but still learned so much then and it was awesome the good old days yeah man yeah and i I I feel, feel i guess i just feel lucky that I was accepted for that and also feel lucky that I had support from friends to like having yeah. people to go film, you know, and friends mm-hmm. that like, didn't just get fed up with me, like kind of hanging around with a camera back in the day. And like Ben always trying to learn with me. And then, you know, my parents supporting, you know, this kid that's just always running around out in the woods filming st- like, I don't know. It just people, people thought I was a weirdo when I was in high school and would say like, I want to film hunting videos. Like, what are you going to do yeah. for a living? Well, I want to film hunting videos. Like, okay. Yeah. Well, whenever you kill that dream, you know, what are you really going to do? I'm pretty sure, like, at one point, the, the guidance counselor told my dad, like, hey, you got to talk to Zach about, like, you know, picking an actual career. I think that he got, I think that he got kind of mad about that, <laughs> which is nice. You know, if I wouldn't have had that support, you know, if, if he was saying that to me, I'd never, I'd never be doing this. So I yeah. think that's cool. But yeah. anyway.
1: That's crazy, man. I mean, it, I'm, I feel the exact same way about the Turkey Federation, mm-hmm. and I mean, you, you know, um, I feel like people will say the same thing about artists. Like, I'm gonna be an artist, okay? Yeah, I'm gonna be a fireman. Yeah. I'm gonna be a <laughs> like, good job, little buddy. Yeah. you know, I'll, I'll always have a deal, a job at the car dealership when you're when you come back. You know, but. um, when So when we went to the Turkey Federation, it was kind of the same deal, man. Like it, it was amazing. We had a really good creative young crew. Like we had six graphic designers, uh, probably about the same amount of writers and PR people and video editors and stuff. But what they did is they hired people from all over the country, kind of like Midwest Whitetail, man. We were coming from Wisconsin and Mississippi and West Virginia, all over the place. But it was a really small town and they you know they couldn't pay much. It was a nonprofit. And so what would happen is people were getting scooped up. Like we were rotating through and mainly the writers, because the writers would go on these writers hunts and shows and they'd network more. I was kind of stuck in my little dark cave, you know, drawing and designing. So I didn't really go to shows or anything. But honestly, man, the, like the foundation of my career was those seven years when writers were coming and going Mm -hmm. and then they'd go work somewhere else and kick freelance work back to me. Yeah. Cause they knew what I could do. And then, uh, when I went out on my own, it was all freelance design and illustration work, Mm -hmm. but dude, we were training labs in the pond outside and man shooting our bows, you know, they had, and the Turkey fed was on like 150 acres of you know, planted pines in there. So we literally had a bow range out back and yeah. we'd go do that and this and that and the other. But yeah, those were the good old it sound, days. It
0: sounds very similar. Like there's this, cl- cl- uh, close network of people that are not from the small town, but all living in a small town together. Yep. That's what Midwest Whitetail was as well. It was yeah. a bunch of guys from wherever. And yeah. they were all living in this place that Luckily it was a, a really cool small town as well where you, yep. you, we met tons of awesome people that, you know, grew up there and they were very accepting of us, but we, we kind of were, you know, in our own little world too yeah. where nobody was from there. So that kind of made things unique, but it was a really cool experience. It was almost like, uh, it was almost like being in a, you know, uh, a, a little, I guess fraternity of sorts, yeah. you know, just out yeah. like, in within the town. So that was
1: kind of cool. Yeah. Did you guys all hang out together after work? Then, oh yeah, I'm to- yeah. Yeah,
0: totally. Like, yeah. and I was at the time I didn't, I wasn't dating anybody. So I was just like <laughs> always going over to my buddy's place and like hanging out with them and their wives or girlfriends and just hanging out and you know, yeah, we'd watch hunting videos and like <laughs> just drink beer and whatever. Just like hanging out. It was always poker, a good time. Yeah. yeah just, oh, yeah. just the classic, you know, classic stuff that you do doing in, in buddy, your buddy's garage, you know, just hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: I, I, I yeah. got a fun story though. This, this would have been about 2011. W- were you there? W- well, and this was when like, YouTube wasn't really a thing. You guys were doing the weekly shows. I feel like mm-hmm. at Midwest Whitetail like, we were. Yes. Yes. Yep. yes. And uh, so I was, this was the very tail end of when I was working there and the turkey federation when i got hired it was like the heyday man there was like 250 people Mm -hmm. it was full it was it was bustling um but i don't think when they first built the building or expanded they had like the bandwidth for internet to grow and for everything to go digital and we were the communications department was is was in its own wing and they they had hired an it guy that would like design to he was the long-term goal for him was like redo the infrastructure for the internet there. I mean, you know, it it, it, it when I first started there, we were doing the files for the magazine and burning them to a DVD and driving them to Augusta, Georgia, to a UPS deal to ship to the printer. Gee. And then as we started going, we started to upload to an FTP, everything started going more digital. I started doing more web projects and stuff, but, like the banquet system like there's a whole system for operating the banquet merchandise and shipping and receiving so the turkey fed is is uh, is kind of behind the times and upgrading all their system and i've started doing more web work and doing an e-newsletter and some graphics for video and stuff like that and um the the they hired this new i t guy i think his name was greg or somebody i think it was greg but he, he was like the police for the bandwidth on the internet, you know? And he did he was the IT guy that like hated people using Macs and all of us designers are on a Mac and he's a PC guy yeah. and you have that whole debate, you know? Oh, man. But what I would do, he used to get so pissed at me for streaming internet uh-huh. because he had a monitor and he could see who was using the most bandwidth and we had to like conserve it, you know? He's always yelling at me. And uh, it got to be like a thing, and every every I think it was it Mondays you guys released a show. Yep. Yep. I would always stream it, and he'd come storming down the hallway. Kirby, are you streaming internet? Damn it! And I was like, Greg, man, it's my job. I gotta stay relevant. I gotta know, you know. But he would peg my bandwidth all the time, and it got to be like a running joke in in the department, in that, like. Yeah. If somebody in the next cubicle over heard Bill's voice whispering from an oak ridge, they'd be like, "Greg's gonna get you!" <laughs> and within before the video is halfway done, Greg's in my barking in my ear about using the bandwidth. But it was cool though, man. I was kind of a fanboy even back in those days. Oh, yeah. of what you guys were doing,
0: I I was as well. It was well. trend setting, really. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, at that time nobody had went to online. Where I feel like yeah. when when we started. THP, we jumped to YouTube primarily. Well, at the time of Midwest Whitetails beginning, nobody had been on at all. So I remember yeah. being up and just that on demand thing, like being able to watch it without having to pay for it was crazy where yeah. the biggest hang up for me when I was a kid is I loved watching hunting videos, but I had such limited time. Like my parents didn't want to pay for the extra channels for whatever reason, wherever we lived, that wasn't part of, like, any, you know, basic cable platform, like, where I feel like other people were like, oh, yeah, we could always watch it on Saturdays or whatever. It's like, I I never had any of it. I couldn't watch hunting stuff unless I was getting a VHS tape or a DVD or was at a friend's house or something. Or I remember being at my grandparents a lot and just binging just watching nothing but i mean just watching some terrible stuff too but just i had to watch it like i had to watch it i was yeah. obsessed and it, it's kind of funny to look back at that and just think about how um yeah groundbreaking just being online was for the first time yeah. and How all of a sudden now you can yeah, you can watch it at work you can you can do it kind of whenever you want because you yeah. don't have to pay or have to be on tv at a certain time and i think that that's crazy to look back on how far that's come just since whatever, 2000, I guess Midwest whitetail Whitetail started in 2008. So, okay. Kind of crazy.
1: Dang man. So how many people were working there?
0: When I, when I started, there would have been Aaron and Greg, Luke Nissen, Eric Barber, John Lewis. And then there were, I think that's all at the time. And then there was, um, the three interns. So there was eight of us the first year. And then the second year, um, we had five interns. So that was a busier office setting. But then by, by the end, it was very similar to what you described happened at uh, Turkey Federation. Like we had guys just coming and going where Luke Nissen was the first one to kind of switch careers up a little bit. And then John, or Eric Barber actually, who now works at Vortex, he was um, going back to, he wanted to go back to Wisconsin and he got a job with the DNR, so he went back there. Okay. And then John Lewis moved to New York and he still worked um, creating videos for Midwest Whitetail for several years, but he just moved off location. Gotcha. So by the time, It would have been the summer of 2017 everything had changed pretty pretty uh wow very different where all of a sudden like the people that you know you're hanging out with all the time is you're just gone i remember it feeling empty and it was all of a sudden just aaron greg and i and it was like dang man like this is way different than what it was just like a year ago even so um, and that's fast i mean that
1: whole thing is only six or seven years yeah you know that's that's fast. Yeah,
0: it 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 is, and I.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: well, before I forget, because I really want to ask you this, and it just came up. Yeah. You were talking about how you were trying to decide what you wanted to do in college, and you mm-hmm. thought about doing the uh, drawings and of uh yeah i don't even remember what exactly you called it medical like the, illustration the medical illustrations yeah is that how you kind of became interested in drawing deer's vitals and in in wildlife's vitals because that is so cool to me and it's really interesting And i feel like there's so many terrible examples out there <laughs> you know yeah. you, you type in like deer vitals and like the heart is you know way back yeah. in you know where yeah the guts are and it's like i don't know how there's a
1: bunch of them yeah it's bad
0: it's really bad so how that, did you get into that and like how did you learn that and that that whole process i guess
1: yeah uh well part of it is that's kind of always been my niche mm-hmm. you know i mean i i know a lot of it because i feel dressed a bunch of them right you know and right. um i was always drawn to like the form following function type thing and like um I was really good at life drawing. I, ha- I actually had a, cl- a class in college where we drew nude models. Okay, so like that thing existed. Like, mm-hmm. have you ever seen the Saturday Night Live skit with Will Ferrell, where he's the nude model?
0: I don't know that I have, but I oh, can my probably. Gosh, dude. I, I, can... I gotta send it to you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Will, Will Ferrell is a homeless guy that they bring off the street to model for a, a like a nighttime art class at a community college. Uh-huh. And it's exactly what you would think. You know, just Will Ferrell being Will Ferrell um but yeah we (laughs) and it was funny man I've got some pretty funny stories from from those days but if you if the and and the models I mean it's not like there were like hot girls modeling (laughs) and stuff I mean this this is like 9 a.m Tuesday Thursday and you have to they paid like 10 bucks an hour and you had to sit there for three hours so who's gonna volunteer for that right you know so it was kind of just whoever they could get and they actually had a rule i never saw it happen never heard of it happening but if the model didn't show up and you wanted an a for the day you could model for the class which is total weird man i that i don't know how you could move forward from that point in the semester i just it just be weird you know um, That's hilarious. So, but the, the idea of that, um, the teacher would say what you, what, what we started in that class is we draw the skeleton. So you would find like the, uh, you would draw like the skull, the points of the shoulders, the clavicle, the rib cage, and you would get the length and the proportions of the, the skeleton, right. And then you layer the, the muscles on top of the bone. So. Mm everything starts with those fundamentals. And I always, that just kind of resonated with me. Like I understood that. And, you know, I played sports in high school and I worked out for for that kind of stuff. So the idea of muscles and bones and agility and movement, like I always I always liked that aspect yeah. of it. Um, when I started doing some of the, the vitals, that was actually my first job when I, so when I was ready to go out on my own, um, and it was kind of like you like at the Turkey Fed. It was it was getting different. Um, a lot of my friends had 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 come and gone. Um, I was loaded up on freelance work. I was working till midnights and going to work the next day and making more money. And it was kind of like, it, man, if I don't make this jump and go work for myself, I never will at mm-hmm. this point. So I had been talking with the Archery Trade Association. And they needed, they had an explore bow hunting program that was designed to help new bow hunters get introduced to the sport. And so I did all the design for that curriculum. And as part of that, there were a ton of illustrations work we did, I mean, I mean, a pile, like I illustrated all the parts of a bow um, releases, risers, all like everything you need to learn about bow hunting was in there. And as part of that, we did a series of um, skeletal illustrate, like all of those illustrations you see, I did for elk, deer, hogs, um, turkey, a rabbit, there's a rabbit in there. And so what I had to do is take the, and in a, in a physical printed form, these were like clear sheets that laid on top of each other. Mm-hmm. So you would have like the animal with all their hide and you'd lift that clear sheet off mm. to reveal the bones, the skeletal, and then take that off to the vitals and all that kind of stuff. So kind of a layering process of the animal's organs. And that was actually the first time I'd ever done anything like that. And again, that was all vector based in um, Illustrator. And what I did there is I'd, I'd basically take like a broadside elk, and then I would look at all of the stuff that's out there, you know, all of, all the different anatomy illustrations that were out there. I'd look at horses, I'd look at this and that, compare kind of how stuff worked. It's all relatively similar. Um, But then a lot of it was just literally field dressing deer, you Mm -hmm. know, to understand how that stuff works. Um, And so I started there. That was the first time I'd done it. And then I did a few more. Uh I did some work for for real tree. I did the one, the deer that's in the Drury Outdoors app, the mm-hmm. uh Deer Cast app. Yeah. Did that for them. Um and then we did our own prints. We have our own line of of art prints and the anatomy and physiology of the whitetail buck is one that that I wanted to do. And so I did those for that piece there. Um but you know, really, we've we've got a series of prints like the growth and maturity of the whitetail buck, the anatomy and physiology, and I'm working on one right now that's our next one, where I wanted it to be more than just like a shot placement deal. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be kind of a celebration of the anatomy, like the muscles. And um, I actually worked with Kip Adams and Matt Ross at the NDA mm-hmm. um, to find statistics that people might not realize, like a buck's. Neck will swell up to fifty percent during the rut. Mm-hmm. Um, how many bones are in the body? Why are why are antlers harder than than bone? Y- mm-hmm. You know, like a soft bone. They call those wet bones that are in the body yep. versus a hard bone that's on the outside. And that's the kind of stuff fascinates me. Um, and luckily, it fascinates other hunters too. And oh, so yeah. that's kind of a unique so kind of a niche for that it yeah. In. yeah, it's been good, man. Yeah. That's awesome um but also what's cool about all those prints is once we i use that as like the the uh like the kick in the pants for me to create all that work and then once we have that body of work we can break it out into other pieces of content products um things like Mm -hmm. that so
0: so do you feel like there's certain things that people often get wrong when it comes to like deer vitals like what would you say the most common thing that you see
1: is well and honestly man like some of these biologists are sharp that that we work with and and I've learned a lot too like I used to be the guy that think there was a no man's land between the lung and the spine you know like there was just a hole and if I hit that hole it just like goes through the deer and he walks off Mm -hmm. you know but Mm -hmm. then you start to realize that you know, the diaphragm cuts off the front half of the body in order to regulate pressure and the lungs have to fill that whole cavity. Like there isn't, mm-hmm. there isn't a place. What typically happens is the spine sits lower than people think it does yeah. and they shoot above the spine, like kind of a high back strap shot. But you know, I end up doing a ton of research into that stuff. Like I read books, um, study stuff online, watch youtube videos um all the things you know and then i'll write all the copy and kind of figure some stuff out and then i'll create all that and then i'll go to the biologist and say hey is this right um are there any new studies that have come out that i don't know about you know what i tell everybody like when i want to critique like if I want to compliment I'll show my mom <laughs> you yeah, know like, yeah she'll tell me it's great uh, but I want you to tell me like what did we do wrong here like i I want um I want to know the truth yeah you know and I want to know I want it to be accurate because I don't want to mislead people either mm-hmm. um but even for my own sake like you were talking about holding yourself to a higher standard of the video like I want to get it right yeah you know so um that that's one thing um really You know, if you want to start a fight on social media, you talk about like taking frontal shots and shooting through the shoulder and, you know, and it's so funny because we put some of these online and, and admittedly, most of my work is done for the bow hunter. Mm -hmm. You know, that's mainly what I am and that's, but man, the 30-06 guys, it's always the 30-06 guys, like. By God, my thirty out six ain't <laughs> never met a scapula it didn't like, you know. Oh, no kidding! Like I aim for that shoulder because it puts them down faster, and I can drive my truck right to it. Yeah, I mean it just—it's like, oh God. Yeah. And I was telling um, Zach here a lot of the funniest thing for me, dude, is when we'll put something online, and I have uh, Siri telling me comments and uh it'll be in my headphones and my earbuds while i'm working and (laughs) it's so hilarious dude because all of a sudden the siri voice will come on and say you know jim bob 30-06 says that's the dumbest thing i've ever seen I shoot through all shoulders and blow right through. I'm not even afraid of the Texas heart shot, you know, and it'll dictate in my ears and I'll just sit there and die That's while I'm hilarious. like painting or something. That's pretty but, um, funny.
0: How do you get yeah, Siri to read you comments? Because I actually I don't feel know. like that would make it way more entertaining.
1: I actually don't know how to turn it off It's the problem. It just it just does it, man. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I got to
0: look that up because I feel like it would make some of the ones that make me make me mad probably just laugh.
1: Oh, it's way funnier in the oh, Siri yeah. voice, totally. the innocent like AI <laughs> <Robot> voice. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, That's yeah. Weird. Especially when we did, uh, we we posted something about would would you take the Texas heart shot? Like, would you take a facing away shot? And dude, oh, they'd, priceless.
0: Yeah, well, I can't even imagine the the hate that comes out of something like that. <laughs> just people going <laughs> back and forth. It's just, oh, it just, yeah, I, I don't know it's interesting because it's one of those things where it's like hey i'm not if you promote one of those things or like frontal shots is the one like we just did that yeah you know you'll see somebody on there like you guys are terrible for the sport of bow hunting like you're you're being irresponsible and that's you know basically you're the worst person ever because of that And it's (laughs) like I i mean i guess I don't agree with that, but it's like, man, people are just relentless sometimes, oh, especially, yeah. especially when it comes to, man, frontal shots, or like sh- like shot ch- choice placement triggers something in people. It's crazy, Yes. <laughs> and it's like, I mean, do it, I mean, do whatever you're comfortable with at the end of the day, but like, you can't deny that you take a frontal shot and it goes right through there and the thing's dead in like five seconds. Like you yeah. can't deny that that's, I mean, not this like the most ethical thing you could do, really. I yeah. mean, you can't just be irresponsible with it, but you can't be that way with the broadside shot either. But anyway, yep. we don't necessarily have to go down. I don't really want to go down that
1: rabbit hole. <laughs> well, and the other thing I think of too is like, I mean, I practice and I, I try to, you know, do everything ethical and all that kind of stuff. But like, I'm not that good of a shot, bro. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I'm, I'm really realistically, I'm hoping to hit like a softball. And if I'm in there, I'm good, buddy. Yeah. Like, yep. I'm not the guy that's like, well, if you go one inch back from that front shoulder blade and up about three eighths of an inch, yeah. that's your money spot. That's where I put it. It's like, dude. I don't know if I've ever put an arrow there, you yeah. know, like,
0: yeah, well, and it's like, it's, it's, it's so, it's so easy to sit and say certain things, but in the heat of the moment, it's like, there's days where it's like, yeah, you have better control in your decision-making than others. And some days you're just yeah. like worked up. There's so many factors that go into it. And I think it's just yeah. to say one, you know, that you've always got a level head and you're always putting the pin on a very specific spot to say that. I, I think I said it in the podcast that we did. It's like, I don't think that that, that you're being truthful that if you're saying that and if you're not then i guess like something's different about the way that you know your your mind works in the heat of the moment because like <laughs> yeah. mind varies so much from situation to situation so yeah but um something else that i was going to ask you is like about you know paying attention to detail do you feel like mm-hmm. through art and through understanding the deer's vitals and, and well, all animals, I guess, vitals and stuff. Do you feel like that's made you a better hunter? Like, do you feel that that translates into paying attention to details in hunting? It's,
1: it's both. I, I, I have a a basic rule that I don't paint anything I've never hunted Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, I end up working a lot from reference photos, but animals take bad photos too, just like people. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to have, You've got to have a certain amount of knowledge to know that like how they relate, how they move, how they do this to know what you can get away with. Like you can look at a photo and like that's not really a natural photo of a deer like maybe he's ducking under a fence and it's a weird pose. And if you don't know any better, you'll just paint it exactly like that. Um, Plus, if you're working from photos that might be blown out or Mm or or either too light or too dark, there's detail in there that's missing and you gotta be able to fill those gaps in as an artist. And so honey has made me a lot better artist. Um, And I feel like it's kind of vice versa. One of the best things I've ever done is there was a video talking about old VHS. I still can't remember where this is, but I have a VHS recording of a guy that filmed deer in captivity for taxidermists like it was a taxidermy training video. And so it was like, watch how the whiskers move here and watch Mm -hmm. how the ear rotates. And, and I end up, um, you know, I'm sitting in a tree and there's a little yearling buck that walks out and I'll put my binoculars on him and watch how his ears move and shift. Mm -hmm. And where, where do the whiskers stick out? Like what angle do his eyelashes sit? Like, you know, for example, um, deer when they're young their eyelashes kind of stick out straight or maybe even a little bit up but as they get older and they get that kind of bulbous knotty big forehead their eyelashes point down Mm -hmm. downwards and it's little stuff like that man um taxidermist noticed that stuff but it was a whole video on this guy filming deer in the wild and then giving his commentary on it um like for example when a deer if you're looking at a deer from behind a lot of times the brown of their hide rolls back and it kind of covers their white butt but when they get spooked it flares and it gets big and but and you don't really pay attention to that and then you watch it happen and it's like holy crap yeah. it really is but as an artist i need to know that because if i'm trying to tell a story with a painting and i paint that doe with with her tail coming up and her white hair of her butt flared she's spooked but if she, if I want her to be calm, you know, it's it's painted differently. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a guy I told a story on our podcast the other day. Um, he was a great artist, had some great stuff, but he didn't really understand deer hunting. And he painted like my biggest pet peeve, which is the deer family, like the buck in a, in a in a summer field with flowers and heart antlers, sitting there next to the doe, sitting there next to a spotted fawn, yeah. and it's like, oh, dude come on man (laughs) yeah not realistic (laughs) and and you know my target market's hunters so they know that's not true first off he's in velvet second of all he he peaced out at the end of november (laughs) you know he's not he's not coaching t-ball and you know (laughs) buying groceries for that fawn yeah he's out (laughs) you know and and if you if you don't know better you'll you'll paint that stuff and and you just gotta gotta I kind of view it simultaneously i I look at um, at at hunting as a time to get better as an artist by observing, and then um, as an artist, I do go to the field looking for more detail, looking for new angles, new behaviors, and stuff like that.
0: yeah, I think it would have to help based off what you just described. It would have to help understand body language in hunting situations too, mm-hmm. right where maybe you're trying to decide when to move or, um, when to take the shot, when to draw all those little details get a lot easier if you understand how deer are communicating through their body language. And there's so many little things that you pick up on over the years as a hunter that I feel are easy to take for granted until Mm -hmm. maybe you go with somebody that's new to it. And then like they're trying to draw their bow and it's like, not right now, or trying to make that last move in the stock. And it's like, he's giving you the clues that say, don't do that yet, you know? And I think that that's uh, something that I I guess over the years I've realized is a huge advantage. And then even being able to like sit down and draw it in your situation, you're studying that over and over again to where, when you go into the field, it's like second nature. And I think that's Mm -hmm. pretty cool. Definitely understanding body language stuff is pretty fascinating to me.
1: It's big, it's Uh big, it really is. Um, Especially with deer, I mean, turkeys are pretty simple. If he's he's in full strut, he's calm. If he's wing clipping and head bobbing, he's out, you know? But deer, there's some subtle things. Leg positioning and all that kind of stuff.
0: What are some things that come to mind?
1: I got I got a story real quick. Yeah. And then we'll go to that. But but I've I've learned a lot taking um like older buddies of mine that have gotten into hunting later. You know, so like we say I took my buddy Mike one time and we were in our 30s and you know you, it, there, there's always like the guide ego pride thing. You just got to get out of the way right away. Like, look, dude, there's no shame in not knowing any of this stuff. So don't pretend like you know just because we're <laughs> right. like equal peers, you know, and, and they essentially have the equivalent, the hunt, the hunting IQ of like an eight year old, you know, right. and it's like, yeah. I wouldn't expect you to know any different, but we were hunting, um, down by Charleston in South Carolina and we, the, it was real quiet. So we just set up on a food plot and we're just going to kind of blind call and we had the decoys out. We set up a little blind. It was three of us. And I was filming at that point, And, a turkey gobbled like 300 yards off the back of the food plot. Okay. So we're like, oh yeah, that's cool. It was off the property. And then he gobbled at like 150 and then he gobbled at like hundred and then he was coming, you know? Mm-hmm. So Mike is pointed at him across the food plot. And I'm like, Mike, don't move. Okay. And so the bird started coming and then I'm living through the viewfinder, like a good cameraman, you know, and well, the bird literally is at a complete 90 degree angle at this point. He's come like another 60 yards and now he's off to the right and he's skirted the decoys. He knows something's up and he's wing clipping and like, I'm like, Mike, shoot him. Shoot him. Well, Mike is still ninety degrees. He has not moved because I told him not right. to move. And he you know, you or me are out there and I know that you're tracking him with mm-hmm. the gun barrel, waiting on the signal to kill him. Yeah. But like they don't know any different. And so That's it, what you told him. That's what I told him. <laughs> you know? And it's like and it's like God, I never realized that. Like that's something that you take for granted with experience. And mm-hmm. I mean, you guys are all killers. I'm sure that you guys, all of you can go out and almost read each other's minds by now. You've hunted with each other so much.
0: Yeah. The reading, the reading each other's minds is a, is a helpful thing when you're hunting with other people and and into all of a sudden jump to different experience levels is when those little things are highlighted, right? Like, Oh, like you have to get, you have to not track the Turkey, to track the turkey the next time, right? Like you yeah. have to fail in that exa- pretty much exact yeah. way. But to your point earlier, people get a, a bit of a, a pride about it where it's like, no, I know what to do, and it's like, ah, I mean, you don't, you you probably don't yet, and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just just try to you know listen here, and like I'm not trying to be a punk. Like I'm just trying to help you like be more prepared for the next time. So yeah, you, I. Yeah, totally understand that. It's kind of funny though, too, hearing that, like, well, you know, visualizing your friend, Mike's like thought process is like, oh, he said, don't move, you know? And it's (laughs) like, well, yeah, they, they didn't do anything wrong, you know?
1: And then, so he had to swing 90 degrees, which he's never even, he's never, this was his first Turkey, by the way, he'd never hunted before. So that's a challenge in and of itself. And then he wounded him and the, you know, the Turkey, like, flopped down but still kind of had his head up Uh and so i was like mike go get him he's like what do you mean go get him like we we hadn't discussed what we do when we actually shoot one right we talked about calling and roosting and gobbling but you know now what do you do so that was a whole comedy little skit in and of itself it's um
0: man that's that's so funny because there's just so many little things that again i think with years of experience you start to take for granted you just forget that you had yeah. to learn those things probably the hard way at some point or another you know
1: yep <laughs> for sure but one thing you were asking one thing about like behavior and stuff but one thing that cuz i i um i'll like go out and shoot reference photos too mm-hmm. a lot where you're just you're just sitting in a not really sitting in a stand much but um you know going to photograph elk or turkeys or stuff like that mm-hmm. man one thing that that has always stuck out to me is when like, I've always been the type that like, as soon as that deer's here, you gotta get ready and you gotta, you gotta shoot them. You gotta get ready. You gotta take the shot. You gotta do this, you gotta do that. But then when you, when you're, when you're there and you don't have a bow in your hand, you're just kind of there to watch, like things take time to, to progress and to roll out. And, and you know, as you gain more experience and you like, you might be passing smaller bucks or whatever, you, you realize that like, not everything is just, that, that granted sometimes there is a buck chases a doe under your stand and he stops behind her right there and you know the next time they move they're running right. they're going like you got to shoot there right but overall a lot of times things take time to play out in the woods yeah and if you if you let them play out it's kind of amazing what happens sometimes mm-hmm. you know um you might end up having to like get out of your get up to run that turkey off because like, all right, dude, he's been here for eight minutes. This is boring now, like get up and move. Like we were in Florida and um, Clay Cook is a a videographer for Whitetail Properties. Mm -hmm. And the last morning we were all getting up, we were gonna go leave, but we thought there was a bird roosted off the backside of this pasture. And um, he pitched down, we thought we could get some backlit, you know, video of him, you know? So we set up and we were set up perfect. Um, and the Turkey comes in and it would have been one of those epic things like, okay, is he close enough? Okay. Now he's close enough. One, two, three, shoot, you know, shoot him, shoot him. But because we were filming, we just sat there and watched him. And it's like, dude, we eventually just had to get up and run the Turkey off. (laughs) Now we had a strutter decoy out and all that kind of stuff. But, um, Matt jury told me one time I was hanging out with him and he was talking about one of the major league pitchers that they hunt with. And he's like, the great ones have a way of slowing time down. Yeah. And just like you're in the heat of the moment, slow down mm-hmm. just, and I think it takes, um, you know, observing deer wanting to paint them and study them has taught me that like, it doesn't always happen so fast. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of a good metaphor for life I get, but, now, that's, to go super deep.
0: No, nah, I think that's great. I love it. <laughs> I do love that. I I think of uh when when that topic comes up of slowing things down and, and in hunting specifically, I often reference the difference between when I was a sophomore playing a varsity my first varsity game versus yeah. my senior year, playing my last. It's like yeah step onto the field and that first play is like, boom, 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 everything's over. And you're like, oh, yeah, I got it. Why didn't I even see what happened? You know, you just like make some decision and go and it's over. But then by the time, you know, you've got experience under your belt, a couple of years later, many games mm-hmm. under your belt, everything's slowed down so much that it's like, you're, you're fine tuning every little decision. You're reading stuff before it's happening. And the same thing starts to happen with hunting as well. Yep. And you know, the downside to hunting is is it, that's a little bit different than like sports, for example. In sports you've got this let's just say high school, you've got four years to just, you know, play many a games, many a plays, right? Mm-hmm. But with hunting, you know, you might only be getting one play, like real play yeah per season or two yeah. if you're lucky. Maybe, you know, a really great season you have what, four or five. And it's like yeah. when you start talking about how much time it takes to really get the comfort Long time and and i really like the idea of just spending time around animals too mm-hmm. where you know if you're into photography or you just like going out and glass and deer just paying attention to those little details and i like what you said yeah. earlier too about looking you know at the young buck looking at you know his characteristics what he's doing because As you do more and more of that you start to be more and more comfortable in those situations that feel like they're fleeting but you can slow it back down and just execute when the time's right and i yeah think about you know back when i was in high school hunting i was just exactly like what you're talking about where i thought everything was i gotta i gotta get it done and then i ended up like making a lot of shots that were rushed because of that i ultimately ended up hitting a lot of animals too high i would just basically backstrap shoot them it's still a mistake that i make i made it this past season but it's one of those things that as you get more experience you can slow the game down it just makes Mm -hmm. every decision a little bit easier and there's there's specific hunts like this buck right here that's a total that's new york buck that was total total like well it's over if i force it you know i'm gonna spook him if i just try to pull my bow back because he he was with a doe and i was making a stalk, and i was getting pretty dang close to him and i was watching his antlers well then a vehicle spooked him (laughs) just like totally weird luck you know vehicle spooks him and he bounds away from her and then he runs and he gets right on the same edge that i'm on and he's point blank range i mean he's like probably 18 yards or less and he's facing right at me looking at me but i saw that he was reacting to that vehicle tucked yeah. into the shadows put my bow cam on my face and just covered my eyes with my hat bill best i could and i could tell it's like you know again body language right and this is pretty obvious stuff but if i try to force a draw he is going to nail me and run so fast but if i'm yeah. patient you know he's got that dough and you can tell that he's thinking about her like his eyes are darting around his ears are turning like you were saying you know his ears keep going back to where she is because he wants Mm -hmm. to know what she's doing well then as he starts to kind of give up on me he becomes more concerned about her and i kind of let him transition from you know being worried about me to being worried about her he started kind of circling out into some tall grass which gave me a window of cover and then he started turning and looking for her again, like trying to get a visual on her. I yeah. knew the wind was good. So as soon as he turned a second time, I just drew and stood all the way up. And I mean, if he'd have looked, he'd have saw me. I mean, same as the yeah. first time. I mean, he, I had cover when I was down low, but when I stood up, I mean, I might as well have just been out, you know, been standing on the, the putting green, you know, I was like <laughs> yeah. playing as day, but because I was just patient. And I think that's, Mm-hmm. That sim- that story is the one that comes to mind when I think of what you what you said about there's yeah. more time than what you think. And had I, you know, probably go back even a few years before that, I'd have probably just drawn, spooked him, and been like, "Damn, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know." <laughs> <laughs> but
1: if you'd have had my thirty out six, you could shot him right. any way you want, shot any him.
0: angle. I could have missed him the first three times and still got him.
1: <laughs> but, you shoot through a tree and still hit him on the other side, buddy. <laughs> oh shit that's hilarious but no it, it it one thing i'm trying to think too like some of the other things i like to study but um one thing is an artist that you want to try to do is convey weight in an animal mm-hmm. so how their feet hit the hit the ground um, the way the leg muscles contract, like mm-hmm. you can watch a deer and I, I just watch that stuff. I end up watching more animals through my binoculars at like 20 yards than anything just to mm-hmm. zoom in and, and those ears, man, those ears are always turning. Oh, yeah. And when they you know when a doe puts her head down her ears go back, I mean' it's, it's pretty fascinating when you really start looking at them. And the, the veins that go on the inside of the back leg and all that kind of stuff, it's pretty cool.
0: I also always like looking at tail movement. Like tail movement gives you so many cues. I mean that's how they're communicating amongst each other too is like, oh if I flick my tail and I move my head down all at the same time, like we're good. We're safe. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, if eyes are up, ears are up, looking real alert, we're not safe to move, you know, and I think those are the I mean real basic level but like it, it, I'm hoping to continue to learn more and more th- for until, you know, I can't go outside anymore because all those things are just so valuable as a hunter and obviously are as an artist as well. But when you can yeah. like watch even other people's footage, like it doesn't have to be your yep. um, like your experience necessarily. Like the same thing's gonna happen with a whitetail buck that's on TV is what's stepping in front of you. I mean, they're gonna act pretty much exactly the same they're gonna Mm -hmm. communicate in the same ways with those different cues and body language things i just i think that is uh yeah probably something that isn't talked about enough so it's cool that you get such a in-depth look at that
1: yeah man i think it's cool too you guys hunt from the ground a lot Mm -hmm. i bet i bet you guys have learned quite a bit hunting from the ground versus a stand
0: it definitely makes you uh
1: or be, not maybe you wish you were in a tree i don't no,
0: know no I, no man i i love hunting on the ground there's like nothing yeah. nothing better to me than that it's just it, it's such a fun uh i don't know fun difference in in the whole game that like i knew for so long i think is, is yeah. a big part of it is you get kind of comfortable with the style and then all of a sudden you have to kind of relearn the whole game and i think that it's ultimately made me you know a lot better and a lot more comfortable in a lot of situations. Yeah. Be able to go from Turkey to deer to elk or pronghorn, whatever it is. Like you, you, you can jump easily from different, uh, species, even just because some species call for a more mobile approach, like turkeys and elk for sure, Yeah, allow for more mobile hunting. But if you do, you know, continue the practice through deer season, I know that that has helped me feel more comfortable.
1: Yeah, what do you guys think the key to to you killing deer off the ground is?
0: Probably learning a lot of those visual, you know, like learning those body language things. I would say that is a big part of it, just knowing when to make the move. Um, Because you're doing the same thing in a tree stand, you just have a little bit of forgiveness when you're elevated. Mm -hmm. There's just so much more, I mean, for example, if a deer's walking and his head's up, if you just draw slow in a tree stand, you can probably get away with it. Where if you're on the ground, your odds of getting away with it go down. I'm not saying you can't, but they go down. You just have to kind of play it more like a turkey. His head goes behind a tree, now I'm drawing. Or if maybe he's looking the other way, and now is when you draw and you get yourself into a position. And I think also just, I mean, the biggest thing is ultimately experience, you know? Like knowing how to put your body into positions that like first and foremost, you can draw the bow. Mm-hmm. That's that's something that I feel is often, you know, skipped. It's like, you know, how do you, how do you set up or how do you still hunt, how do you stalk? It's like every move has to be planned in a way that you can always draw. You yeah. have to draw a bow. I mean, or even a gun for that matter. Like yeah. you have to be able to get the weapon up to where you can actually pull off a shot. And I think that that's yeah. something that is easy to skip over there's that's, that's probably one of the topics that I would enjoy diving, you know, way into the details of more than anything, because I think there's a lot there that when we first started, I didn't necessarily know how to put words to it because I was still Mm -hmm. really learning a lot of it. And, I'm hoping, I really hope that I continue to get better. That's my goal is to get better at those things, but I do feel like I've gotten better at finding words to describe those little details, I suppose, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, it totally does. Do you guys feel like, um, do you feel like Like, do you ever sit back and analyze, like, the way you brush in, the way you sit, the way you do that? Or is it more like, we're going to sit in the right spot and just not move?
0: I would say being in the right spot is more important than, um, did I lose you? Can you hear me still?
1: Yeah, I got you. Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, it just got, okay. it froze for a sec. I was
1: afraid that I lost you. Um... Zach's fault. (laughs) Like... (laughs) THP, Zach, not you, Zach. <laughs>
0: so, so I think that uh, when you're picking a spot, being in the right spot is is probably more important, but yeah. ultimately just using whatever cover you have and then just being smart with your moves. Because especially when it comes to deer, turkeys are different, but elk are even more uh, forgiving when it comes to eyesight okay it's like deer just can't see that well and i think as hunt tree stand hunters we give them way too much credit they're good at seeing certain things like they're good at seeing a silhouette that's sticking out like a sore thumb like at the Mm -hmm. top of a ridge even you can be feet on the ground walking across the top of the ridge and they'll bust you from so far away Mm -hmm. it seems like there's no way that could be real but up in a tree the same thing happens a lot and then we're like oh they can just see so good Well, you can also just be standing up against a tree and a deer walk right up to you, but if you're not moving, it doesn't really know what's going on. So I think like location number one, and then also ease of drawing and being able to maneuver your weapon in ways that actually allow you to get a shot off is, is also right up there at the top, you know, if you got a bunch of cover, yeah, man, that's that's better you know that's definitely to your advantage but ultimately being able to you know draw get the weapon up and then moving at the right time and being close and just being close too. like I love I love uh, still hunting through an area and like I always am visualizing like okay if one starts to come from my right you know based off where the wind is where the Sun is where the cover is where I can walk quietest where am I getting to next yeah and every step of the way you have to be thinking of those things if you're moving Mm -hmm. or if you're stalking or whatever and it's like just like the situation of that new york buck it's like if i wouldn't have been you know thinking ahead you know and, and every step kind of picking my next move i would have never got even to the spot where he ran right up to me and gave up on me i'd have got caught more in the sunlight and more exposed not had cover but Just kind of planning that out as you're moving through an area I think is also important. And, you know, once you're in a setup, by all means, like, if you can get a bunch of natural cover to break you up, I'm all about that. But there's just a lot of situations, too, where, you know, you're making a stock and you don't have that luxury to say, oh, I'm going to take the time to, like, take this big, you know. Figure out
1: what's behind me. (laughs) Right, and take this
0: big dead log and, like, lay it against the tree to get a whole, (laughs) you know whole yeah. different angle of cover. So I think just, yeah, paying attention to those things. And it, it, it's something too. like, if you like to Turkey hunt, for example, that's a really great start, you know, like mm-hmm. Turkey hunting is so similar where all of a sudden you're thrown in these situations and you've got this bird, that's got incredible eyesight and he's coming looking for you, you know, mm-hmm. that's a great way to practice getting better at bow hunting <laughs> whitetails yeah. off the ground. So, yeah. I mean, again, this is some stuff, man. You get me going on it. We'll be here for like four hours.
1: I would love to hear more about that. I've always been the kind of guy that's like, I want my tree stands to look like the setup on a mossy oak print ad where there's like an oak tree with everything and I blend in and the only thing you can see is like my arrow fletching you know, yes. completely invisible. And then I've got a buddy that's like, let's go 20 yards over there and put that stand on the telephone pole, you know, cause it's mm-hmm. the right spot. Yep. And I think sometimes there's a balance there, but there I've, I've gotten a little bit more ballsy in my setups and being able to set up on the ground and stuff like that as you get more comfortable, like with experience. Like I killed a Turkey this year where they just weren't going to commit and they were on the edge of a field kind of skirting us. And I just got a big tree between me and them and just stood up and the turkeys are 10 yards away Mm -hmm. and just stood up. But I, you know, I can make sure I didn't crack a stick or do anything like that. And you're on the other side of the tree. They can't see you, but it's stuff like that that I'd never would have dreamed of when I was Mm -hmm. 14. It's like, you have to sit still like they do it on TV.
0: Well, and that's, that's woodsmanship skills too like I think yeah. oftentimes that term gets gets put out there and like I'm I'm guilty of this as well where I hear that and then I often think that means like finding a track and knowing how fresh it was and like that yeah that's part of it but so is yeah. you know being able to stand up behind that tree and, and get the turkey or you know make that final move and understand you know how much distance you need between front cover and the front of your you know bow when you get that full draw like being able to visualize yeah. that on the fly at all times like those are woodsmanship skills as well they're just not often what people were referencing a lot of times they're just referencing like sign and kind of that understanding but i think there's so many details to it i mean even for example like if you've got wind it's pretty common knowledge that if you're making a stalk and you get a gust of wind, that's when you should move. But also mm-hmm. when a plane flies over and makes a bunch of noise, especially if you can see that animal, it's like, if it's not looking at you well, and a plane's flying over and making a bunch of noise, well, naturally like yeah. instinct, at a certain point, instinct should just be taking over of like, I'm not even gonna talk about this, think about this, whatever, I'm going right in this moment. And I think those, yeah. are, those are like little details that, yeah, I, I think the biggest thing I guess circling back to this is if you want, I would always say to people, if you want to hunt in that style, you just got to do it. And you got to just go yeah. mess up, you know, and like, yeah. enjoy, yeah. It, enjoy that part of it and know that, you know, you've got a goal in mind and at some point you're going to reach it. If you try the biggest hang yeah. up is like, ah, I don't know. It's like, well, yeah, no, I mean, neither do, neither does anybody. Like you never <laughs> really know. It's like, just try it and see what happens, you know? Yeah.
1: So I don't um, know. My little guy, uh, Rhett, he's seven, and we've started going out, you know? And we are, I, I've always wanted to make it fun because he he's competitive. He's like me, he's like hard on himself and he can't get something right. He gets frustrated and all that. So I've always said, I wanna make this completely fun because I know that competitive drive, it's yeah. coming. I don't have to push him at all. Yeah. But we're also kind of right on the border of like the, let's go walk through the woods and throw sticks. And you better sit down and shut up, boy, if you want to kill this turkey. <laughs> right. you yeah. know? And so we're kind of navigating that. But um, <laughs> I've wanted to do it outside of a blind. I just haven't wanted to do the throw up a blind mm-hmm. because I want him to make mistakes. Yeah. And I want him to learn. And I, I want him great. to do all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I don't know, as a dad, you're always just kind of trying to figure that stuff out on yeah. the fly. Yeah, because you, you want to
0: like make it fun but you also want to teach the hard lessons, which can also be frustrating and not so fun in the moment. Yeah. You know, it's like, and I, 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 I feel it like, cause I've started turkey hunting with Whitney, my girlfriend, and mm-hmm. she has hunt like hunted. The first year she just tagged along the last two seasons, she has hunted and she's been close. She missed one and then, She's had other birds in range that just couldn't quite pull it off. And it's like, you know, at the end of the day, and and sometimes she gets worked up because a lot of times we're hunting with other people, it's late season stuff. And we're able to bring like really quite the crew in there. And she'll sometimes get upset and be like you know there's so much pressure and it's like no but like we've all been through all those mistakes yeah. like yeah we, we want you to experience that stuff because yeah. that's ultimately going to make it better and or make you better and make it more rewarding when you do have yeah. success you know
1: so, yeah. <laughs> that's cool yeah we i took rent uh i guess it was last spring and the, the the thing for me is i want them to see turkeys and like experience mm, it you know right. like it's just not that much fun and and he's really they're young so it you can't sit for three hours and not see anything You right. you can't expect that oh, no. but dude we had like a gift from heaven last year we sat down underneath a big pine tree and literally just kind of you know we got snacks and gatorades and just crap everywhere you know and I just look up and there's a, it's an afternoon long beard and he's just feeding, you know? Just literally like we had to have set up with him set 75 yards away, but just over the crest of a hill and just happened to be perfect timing. And I wanted them to see it, wanted them to see it. And so I was like, Rhett, can you see? He didn't have his face mask on and he's just rubbernecking doing uh, this yeah. thing. And of course that turkey Sticks its head up and starts <laughs> chugging away. So I tried to kill him and I missed. I missed him, and he flies off the mountainside. And Rhett was like, "That's awesome! Let's go find another one." And I was <laughs> like, "Dude, you don't get it." So and then he's like, "Can we go fishing?" I was like, "Let's go fishing, yeah. bro." Like and I like my my heart is in my throat and I just like want to throw up right there, mm-hmm. you know, because you know, especially in the mountains, that just doesn't happen very often. Right. And uh, he just wants to go fishing. And then every time we drive past that farm, it's like, you remember when you missed that turkey, Dad? I was like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember when I missed that turkey. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's hilarious. You guys could should do, man, I've got all kinds of ideas of stuff you guys should do. But I feel like oh, wives and girlfriends of THP podcasts could be oh, cool I where did. they just tell it's, all the stories about you.
0: It's on the list. It's high on the list. It's a matter of yeah. like... When we all get together, actually pulling it off to sit down and do it. But it's definitely high on the priority list. It's been on my list now for multiple years, even. I just yeah. have not. made would cool. Yeah, I think it'd be really fun. I think it'd be hilarious for people, too, to like learn more about us and just kind of the yeah. lifestyle, too, because it is so
1: odd. <laughs> yeah. It's unique, man. You guys have definitely done it. Do um, you guys have any interns that edit for you?
0: Uh, well, we really pretty much all do all things yeah. content wise, but we do have an intern Cole. Yeah. Uh, he just started a month ago, probably. So yeah that's super fun for us too, just because we were all in that situation at one point, you know, and yeah. being able to kind of live through that, you know, young eye and also being able to kind of see the, uh new trends through those guys too is super helpful yeah. i think something that is a huge risk for us is you know the ever-changing way people take in media right like to yeah. sit here and say that youtube is going to be what we do for the rest of our lives is probably a lie to ourselves you know yep. i don't know what it's going to be but <laughs> yep. I mean, maybe it is just making a bunch of TikToks or something but you know it's like who knows what's next yeah. and i think that's Kind of the benefit of having young guys around and i mean yeah you know we're all trying to stay relevant with things but it's like i can't i mean i just you know it's like what's the point of getting TikTok when you can watch you know youtube reels or uh youtube yep. shorts and reels like you know i don't know yep. it's like where i'm starting to be like maybe i'm becoming the old guy now you're you know? the
1: old guy i <laughs> can just a, see not really you. but you know you're- with like a mane of gray hair and you're like zach get off of youtube bro dude there's uh, only 52 people on youtube anymore it's 2073.
0: here's here's one for you so this is something i really enjoy doing snapchat filters So that's a look into the future of the hunting public
1: <laughs> i literally just picture you on a bench outside of a gas station in the middle of nowhere being that guy i hope oh, so oh man oh shit, that is great it's a it's a real thing though man like the the aging and stuff um i don't know I I'd, I'd like to think i'm not the old guy but sometimes it's like holy crap i just said exactly what a client told me when i was 30 and i didn't understand it or get it and now i do and it's like you know oh totally
0: one of the things that's the most fascinating thing about humans is when we're young in our minds we're always right but as we get older we realize that the people that were older than us were right and we were wrong but it's yeah. so consistent. I mean there's rare <laughs> it is,
1: cases. It is, isn't it?
0: There's yeah, there's so yeah. few cases where somebody's like actually <laughs> listening to the wise old older than them individual. Yeah. But most of the time it's just like, no, there's no way that's the way it's gonna be and like <laughs> you just, you know, stubborn your way through stuff until one day you're like, Wait, actually that's so true. And it's funny because as as I have got you know, went through I'm now 30, so I, which I don't think is old, but, you know, compared to somebody yeah. that's, tw- like, Cole is 21, I think. So, it's like, yeah. compared to that, you know, there's some difference there. And, <laughs> you know, you start to tell them things. You're just like, man, you know, people are saying these things to you, but they're right, so you should listen. <laughs> but you never do. You never yeah. will. Like, hey, man, I'm telling you, if you want to, you know, if you want to keep stalking deer, you know, as you get older, start stretching now. And it's like, you know, it's like, I know you don't think that you need to stretch, but you do. It's like, somebody told me that when I was younger too, and I didn't listen.
1: Yeah. And it's I remember like when I was a a freshman and sophomore in college, I thought the 23 year old fifth year senior was like a creepy old man. Right. Like, dude, your life is over, man. Like, you're so old. (laughs) And a, a 30 year old was like freaking ancient. Oh, ancient. Like irrelevant. And now as I'm older, like I'm 41 and I'm like look at a 70 year old is like, yeah, you got 20 good years left. Yeah.
0: Yeah, (laughs) That's, that's, yeah. I, I I feel like I'm starting to do that as well where I'm like,
1: Oh man, like,
0: you know, there's a lot of, there's, you know, seeing this, you know, person that I once would have thought was super old. Like, you know, like my dad's now 57. And I remember like when I was a kid, somebody that was 57 was just like, Whoa, that's, you know, that's an old person. It's like yeah. I don't think of my parents as old or my or even like yeah. my aunt and uncle is not like it's just so funny to think about how much your perspective changes as you do get older and realize that you were just a dumb kid. Yeah. Just like everybody else was is, a dumb man. kid.
1: Like in the fifties they fought their parents about going to the movie theater and then the A and W drive through with the roller skates so, and yeah. dancing was the devil and now <laughs> It, just different stuff, different you know?
0: stuff, but all the same, you know, core story at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. One thing that I think is cool, though, um, and I feel like you guys have done a, a really good job of bringing this back is I feel like like a lot of the retro stuff is cool. Like, I, I kind of feel like we went through the days of you know like pike county becoming the golden triangle and everybody Mm -hmm. wanted to kill a deer to be on the cover of north american Whitetail, and it was like bigger and bigger and It it's just like that Mm -hmm. and you know and now i feel like there's i feel like we kind of got to the end of that and we're like there's got to be more than this yeah and we're going back to the roots of like dude we're just going to go have fun Mm -hmm. and i remember when i was growing up um bow hunting hadn't really taken off yet. And we did like man drives in, in Illinois for shotgun season, you know, mm-hmm. like smooth board 20 gauge with just a bead on the end of it, oh, you know? Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> I just feel like there's some people that realize, and I've, I've felt this as I get older, but you just kind of want to go for the experience. Like, I just want to, I just want to go have fun. Yeah. Like, I don't want this to be pressure. I've got enough pressure in my life the way it is. <laughs> yeah, I right. want it to, I want to have fun. I don't want to like.
0: Fun and an escape of, of, the feel pressure. like I have
1: to, yeah, yeah. And it, having kids changes it too. But it's like, yeah, dude, I don't want to turn this into work. Like, I don't want to feel pressure to kill a certain deer or this or that or the other. Like, if I do great, and I'm going to try, but it's like, I just want to enjoy it, man. I'm on freaking vacation. Right. Like, this is vacation for me and well, I don't want to ruin that.
0: And, and, you know, talking about like big mm-hmm. bucks and stuff too, where when, when the, all the focus is on that, it is really easy to discourage hunters that live in Western North Carolina, where a buck is probably just never going to grow the grand total inches of antler that the Pike County, Illinois bucks going to grow, right? Like they just not to say that there's not big bucks there. And I think that's Mm -hmm. something that I've been lucky to feel pretty content with for a long time is that not, every location has the same type of look when it comes to a big buck or mm-hmm. or even more specifically what i believe is like a mature buck you know there's a certain point where it's like yeah well that's what we're after it doesn't matter what his headgear looks like it's like if his oh, neck yeah. is you know if you get a big neck and he's you know significantly bigger than all the other deer body wise it's like i don't care if you I I could care less if he's less than a hundred inches even. It's like, that's, that's what we're after there. Yeah. He's seen some stuff and you know, maybe if we're lucky, the last thing you'll see is us.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I still kind of want to kill a big one myself, but like Rhett, dude, we're about to wear out some spikes, buddy. Oh yeah. (laughs) We are about to wear out and and I'll leave it up to him. Like, Hey man, when you feel like you're ready to go up to the next level, we're going to do it. But yeah, it, it just man I feel like uh for a long time it was like how big of a deer you can kill and now I feel like it's if you kill 120 inch eight pointer but it's a cool story and it like means a lot to you man yeah. by all means go ahead and wow. and I think that that like the general public is starting to like feel that way right. too that's, like it's not just an individual thing
0: yeah I think that's important too because I think when when you look at hunting as a whole again if you're not in a place that has, you know, tons of booners running around every corner. It's like, if that's, if that's like the level that makes people feel like they're being successful, well, then there's some people that are just never going to achieve that. I mean, yeah, you know, and, and again, not to say, and some people get so worked up and very specifics of these things, but it's like, not to say that, you know, you wouldn't find a, you know, giant antler buck in the mountains of, you know, the Southeast or the East or, you know, down in Florida. I don't know. It, it, it doesn't really matter. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just always saying like, at the end of the day, like if it's going to be fun, just do whatever makes it fun. And I think, yeah, it's so funny too. Like sometimes, sometimes you're seeing a bunch of bucks that look about the same that, you know, you're like, oh, that's, you know, I'm not going to shoot that here. But then the next place, you haven't seen a deer for four days, and you see that buck, and your heart's pounding through the roof. It's like, <laughs> I'm shooting that buck. You it's know? It's just, yeah, it's just yeah. every situation's different. And I think that's kind of the beauty of of hunting. Is it it makes you make it what whatever you want it to be. I think, and I think that's yeah. cool.
1: We had a deer show up. um So our property, it's kind of hard to explain, but in the mountains, there's there's a lot of small parcels. There's very few big tracks of land like in the in the midwest and so we've got eight acres here and i've got a little i've got a buddy stand that i put for me and Rhett to go sit in Mm -hmm. and we'll go sit at the end of it you know and we can literally like so there's app state is in boone and uh we went hunting last year and you could hear the asu cheering in town like (laughs) 10 miles away and then you could hear Kim and Brooklyn cheering at the TV inside the house. Like we were that close to the house, you know, uh, but it's a cool place to take the kids. It's easy. You know, one of them gets really cold. We can go inside. We take hot chocolate and stuff with us. But, um, there was a deer that showed up late in the year of like on Christmas and man, I, I got like obsessed with this deer over like, man, I want to kill this deer. He ended up being, well, I found one of his sheds. He was 140 inch nine pointer, you know, and I I've been more worked up over that deer than I have any, any deer, you know, uh-huh. because it was, it was a big, I mean, he's old dude. He just swayed back, just looks like an old bull, you know, mm-hmm. but um, it was really cool to see. And, and, and you also, like it's the mountains of Western Carolina, man. There's 120 inch eight pointers everywhere. Mm-hmm. Anything over like, you know, 140, 150 caliber deers. Yeah. Uh, once a year, you hear about a deer like right. that around here, right. so. Yeah, and that's uh, that's
0: kind of what I mean with, with what I was saying earlier. It's like, not every place has the oh, big yeah. bucks. So it's like, if everybody's trying to compare themselves to what they're seeing on TV from, you know, these areas that have like really high quality you know, antler growth. It's like, well, Mm -hmm. you can't compare yourself to that if you're not living in those areas. Or even if you are, like, who cares? There's so many different situations. No two people have the same exact hunting situation. Like, (laughs) it's just not, you know, nobody's experience (laughs) level is the same or like the place they hunt. So it's like, I don't know, comparing that stuff just gets out of control.
1: By the way, Zach here just uh, put me onto your uh, hunting, um, uh, the don't be a jerk video you guys just did. Dude, that was hilarious. When you and Warb <laughs> walk up on that guy and start shaming him, like within two seconds, you're like, oh, yeah, two-year-old. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, this is hilarious, man. <laughs> oh, oh, dude. oh that, man.
0: The, those, all those skits were hilarious to do. That's, yeah. that's a lot of fun. You know, we were talking about a long time ago in this conversation, we are talking about how I got into filming. That yeah. That is the type of stuff when we first started filming and editing that was like my favorite thing to do still is to do goofy like you know characters and stuff like that i mean that's how all these ridiculous snapchats also happen as well but yeah anyway well dude hey i better let you go because i feel like we've just been talking i mean we have been talking for a long time but i've really enjoyed it but i feel like you know want to let you get to other things and i appreciate you You know hanging out chatting for so
1: long yeah dude it's been great i'm glad we got warb out of this thing too we don't want him hanging around man slide him out we don't need him third wheeling on our conversations (laughs) oh man could you even imagine how much longer it would
0: last if you add another person to the mix i'm sure it would be like looking down at like four hours but oh dude
1: we didn't even get into turkey calling if we had warb here we'd go even deeper on that man
0: well, I guess that just means that we'll have to do another one again sometime Let's soon. Let's do it,
1: man. I'd love to.
0: All right. Well hey, I appreciate Hi, it. Bro. And, you know, we'll talk soon. Keep in touch. Yeah, man.
1: Thanks, Zach.